Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I am your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we have Acer Salman. Acer is the author of The Wrong End of the Table, her mostly comedic memoir of growing up in the United States as a Muslim immigrant from Iraq and trying to find a place where she could fit in. Before we talk to Acer, let's do a little housekeeping. Here is your weekly reminder. In the show notes, there is a link. That link will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for the stacks and our guests. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep the stacks free. If you're in need of a book recommendation, send us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air and give you a personalized book recommendation. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. If you like the stacks and want to support the work we're doing, here are a few easy ways you can help. First of all, you can join us on Patreon. You earn perks like our virtual book club and get to connect with other listeners of this podcast. Plus, you get to rest easy knowing your contribution helps to make this show possible. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to be a part of this fantastic community. The last thing is the easiest. Just subscribe to the stacks. Leave us a rating and a review. It's super helpful and it's super easy. So please, please, please take a moment to do that. And of course, we always invite you to tell someone you know about the show. All right, that's it for me. Now it's time for our conversation with Acer Salman. All right, you guys, I am here today with Acer Salman. She is an author. Her book is called The Wrong End of the Table, a mostly comic memoir of a Muslim Arab American woman just trying to fit in. Acer also works in entertainment as an editor and a producer. Acer, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. We have a lot to talk about. Okay, so let's just dive in. Tell us a little bit about your backstory, who you are, where you came from, how you got to L.A., just a casual okay. intro. That's All a right. lot of questions, uh, I know. Yeah. I'm like, well, how far do I go back? Um, well, my name is Acer Salman. I am originally from Iraq. I grew up in Kentucky and I came to LA um, after majoring in journalism in undergrad and deciding that I hated reporting on the news and I actually wanted to make up stories. <laughs> well, actually I started, uh, I decided I wanted to do documentaries and so I applied to film school and mm. I came to Loyola Marymount and that's how I got to LA. Um, prior to that, I think when I was a kid, like California was my dream. 
because I, most of my life was spent watching TV, like a lot of young kids, but particularly immigrants watching TV and looking, you know, like, cause you want to f- make sense of the world basically. Um, uh, yeah. So I was born in Iraq, came here when I was three to the States. So, um, just spent, and then we moved around a lot, um, Ohio and various neighborhoods in Kentucky and, um, and yeah. And then I, you know, I kind of always felt like I didn't quite fit in. I always felt like the other, I mean, I am the other, but I always felt like I was at the wrong end of the table. Literally. I mean, the reason I wrote the book is because I always felt like, and to this day, it's part that I'm, uh, you know, introvert and part that the immigrant thing is constantly feeling like. I'm at, you know, picture like a banquet table and there's a party going on and there's always, for some reason, something more interesting happening Mm -hmm. at the other end of the Mm -hmm. table to the point where I've gotten to choosing my seats. Like when everybody shows, I sit in the middle and then people sit away from me, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, (laughs) so it's literally being at the, at the wrong end of the table, but also feeling like as an immigrant, we feel like we're, or as the, I should say the other, because that's kind of more inclusive, like just kind of the non, the non majority of what America is feeling like we're at the wrong end of the table or maybe not even at the table. Well, that's part of it. I mean, when I read the beginning of your book and that's, you explain the title pretty much right away, I think in the introduction. And I thought to myself, this is so right on. I feel this way, but I even feel that sometimes at like holiday dinners with my family. I know my brother and I were really intense. (laughs) The rest of my family who's listening, plug your ears. I don't want to have to deal with this, (laughs) but we'll be like, okay, where are you sitting? Like, okay, let's put our drinks down here. So we already have our seats marked out. So we have to help my mom bring the food out. Nobody takes our seats at the table, which is very literal. But I think you're right to say that as the other, there's there's having a seat at the table and feeling like you're not in the right place, but also oftentimes not having a seat at the table. Correct. And that both of those things are true probably in different parts of your life that sometimes you feel like you're looking in from the outside and sometimes you probably feel more like, I'm here, but I'm not exactly where I'm supposed to be or I'm not exactly where I want to be. For sure. I want to talk, before we talk about your book, I want to talk a little bit about producing, editing, what sort of work that entails because I know that when I came to LA... I just, I thought a producer was one thing and apparently a producer is everything. It is. It's like if you're not acting or directing or writing, you're producing. And if you are producing, you also might be writing. Correct. Or directing or acting. (laughs) Right. So the, the kind of producing I do, I, um, it's, it's, it's called a, I'm a predator, which sounds horrible. Yeah, and especially when great. I, when I tell you that the <laughs> last big company I worked for is the Weinstein company. So that right. kind of, you know, but, um, it basically is a producer editor and okay. what it is, 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 you know, they, you, you're, I'm an editor, but I create the content. Okay. I don't have, I, you know, I'm not, I usually, they'll give me the footage and just say, here, put something together. Okay. And they're like little mini document, like little docu featurettes kind of, behind the scenes stuff, you know, anything that promotes the film or, or okay. show. And so, um, mo- most recently I, I, um, was fortunate to work on Pose both, oh, both seasons, which was awesome. But that's basically, um, you know, when I came to, to film school, I was like, I, I never thought, I never dreamed I would be a writer. I never really thought of myself as a writer. I guess I thought of myself as a storyteller and, um, which is more encompassing. But I did have the the skill of editing. Even when I was a kid, when I, you know, I, I grew up and so I forgot to mention also that part of, bef- in between Kentucky and, and 
California, there was a little brief stint um, of us when we lived in Saudi Arabia. My parents had jobs there. And so I lived there from when I was nine to, to 15. And um, we didn't have, there was not much in the way of entertainment, right? And and we didn't have like, some of my friends who lived, who worked for like at the, in Aramco and worked and lived in compounds, they had satellite TV and that was the mm. big thing. Again, talking, bringing, bringing it all back to television. Right. And so there were two stations and I would literally like edit you know, bits together. Like I would on the fly record stuff and do these like interview things. Oh my gosh. And I was like, you know, it was to me, I was like, oh, I'm just going to entertain myself. And I didn't realize that that was kind of the beginning of this career that I would have, that I would sort of fall into that when I came out to, you know, I did it a little bit. I worked in news and I was an editor as well as a producer. And when I came out to, to film school, I thought, ah, you know, while I'm waiting for my big break, my three picture deal, because I'm going to be a director and I'm going to win an Oscar and da da da, or an Emmy or whatever, I'll just edit. And I fell into um, this was 2000. This was a, around the time of the DVD explosion. You know, where you were buying DVDs and, right. and here's what's happening behind the scenes. And this is, you know, uh, here's Quentin Tarantino talks to the cat, you know, cat whatever of this film, and and um, uh, you know, so it was like it was like kind of a look behind okay. a look at, um, the, uh, making of and, and, and the stuff that, that didn't make it to the screen. And so Got it was it. Just sort of like an insider look. And, um, I fell into that. Like Miramax, I started, oh, wow. I think I, well, yeah, I, I, um, sorry, let me go back because I don't think, so that was happening and I fell into Miramax and, um, fell into a job at Miramax. Well, I didn't literally fall into Miramax. <laughs> I fell into you Miramax and they're yourself. like, okay, we'll hire you. No, I just happened um, to answer an ad for something and it happened. It was at Miramax oh and um, they'd wanted somebody to cut reels and it became this thing where they would literally just give you footage and say, put it to get together. And it was at the height of Miramax. It was like anybody you talked to who worked there right. during the early 2000s, um, you know, that was the time that's when, when the magic was happening. And so it was so exciting to be part of it. And so I thought, Oh, okay, well I'm working in my field, so I'll just stay, you know, I don't, yeah, this, I'm kind of making these little movies. I'm sort of being a filmmaker. Um, and so I ended up staying for how, like 17 years (laughs) as a freelance, because, you know, again, like editing pays well. Well, and it's creative and you're still storytelling. It's just not necessarily, I think a lot of times when we're younger, we have dreams of jobs that maybe we want to have because they're the only ones we see. Yeah. So I don't know that kids anywhere, Saudi Arabia or (laughs) Kentucky or California, even know that your job exists. Right. But they're doing what you were doing, which is splicing things yeah. together. You know, kids who don't know that you can be a producer on music, but you love to make a mixtape or something. You don't sure. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that there's part of you that was like, this is actually way more fulfilling yeah. <laughs> than I thought. Well, and again, like the, I'll go back to the introvert and the and the awkward immigrant thing, you know, um, is that I could sit in a room and I didn't have to talk to anybody. Right. And, I, you know, I'm not interacting with actors and I'm looking right. at them on this, you know. And I always, and I really credit editing with helping my writing and vice versa, because writing is the beginning part of telling a story mm-hmm. and editing is, is kind of the ending part where you're telling a story, you know, you're shaping it. And, right. and it's, you know, I, I also teach, um, short film writing at uh, my alma mater Loyola. And I, you know, tell the students that, uh, as some professor told me that there's three movies you make. There's the ones that, the one that you write, the one that you shoot, and then the one that you edit. Mm. And they're all going to be a little bit different. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, we're not here to talk about my editing. I, <laughs> I can geek out, geek out on that um, forever because it's just, it's just super fun. Like it's just, you know, you're, you're, yeah, like you said, you're telling stories and, you know, I'm one of those people that it doesn't bother me to play something over and over again. Mm. I know, I know a lot of my friends are like, I couldn't be, couldn't do it. It would make me crazy. <laughs> Listen to the same thing over and over. You have to, you kind of have to have sort of a little bit of a obsessive quality. Personality. Personality. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that you'd ever try to write or direct or do something? Or do you feel like you're in the right place for you? Like, do you like what you're doing? I do. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would direct, uh, never say never, but I always feel like I, I definitely would like to, um, have my own show mm. on, on, on TV. I'm definitely based on your life. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing I came to this book, like, like I said, I, I, so going back a little bit. So I was, I was an editor or have been an editor, producer, editor. And the good thing about that job is it allowed me to write as well mm. because it was, you know, I'm staring at a screen, but it's a different kind of screen. I'm staring at people, images, and then I can go home or on the weekends and sit down and write. And that's, you know, so I, I, I looked at it as, like you said, like a really great, a fun, well-paying day job. And, um, and at some point, maybe, I don't know, a few years in, I, I, maybe 10 years into it or something, I said, oh, okay, I, this is great, but I want to create my own content. Mm. I don't want to work on other people's content. So I'm going to do my own writing. And again, I was so focused. I was thinking I would be a screenwriter, not TV, because at the time, even though I grew up with TV, but TV hadn't experienced that renaissance. You right. Know? And um, I, I wrote my first pilot, which is called the, Those Kadam Arabs. And um, it was optioned, kind of made the rounds based on my life. You know, basically the theme of my stories is always <laughs> this dysfunctional but lovable Arabic family <laughs> Who, and the, and the, the, the kid who desperately wants to escape, you know? And so this was a, a kind of a younger version of me and very exaggerated. And, um, you know, it just lent itself more to a television kind of serialized sort of situation. Right. And well, you have so many stories, so many stories. Yes. Well, then that's the thing. Like when I was younger, I was like, ugh, this is horrible. But you know, now when I, when I started writing them, I'm like, okay, well maybe this is the reason why. And, um, my mother, you know, would joke with a big touch of seriousness that, that I was going to bring shame on the family, which I didn't. She's, you know, approved, she signed off on the book and she's very happy with it. But in the beginning, I think there's that fear of like, what are you going to tell about us? And you're going to, you know, cause especially like, you know, mothers are very, I don't know about your mother. My mom is very private. Don't ever, you know, don't tell, don't speak outside the family, all that right. kind of thing little, a Middle Eastern mom, you know, and then my mom on top of that is another layer. And it's just like, you know, don't say anything about anything, you know? And right. so I'm like, she's like, maybe you should just give, you know, a cousin and just make up a fake cousin and give her all the sex stories. And I'm like, mom, there's not, A, there's not going to be sex stories, you know, cause it's not that kind of book, but B, that's, you can't do that. Your mom's like, why don't you write a fantasy novel exactly. about a made up <laughs> exactly. woman? Yeah, totally. She'll Lace her. Out she's of, fine. She's, she's in outer space. Yeah. She definitely is not from Iraq. She's definitely <laughs> like, didn't grow up a lot of places. Right. Her parents don't do pharmacy. Like, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no. She was like, on Mars. It's fine. Yeah. And she's blonde. Yeah. She's definitely blonde. She's Christian and she's blonde. No big yep. deal. Well, I do. Okay. You say in your book, when you're coming up, when you come to America, no one's ever even heard of Iraq. Like mm -hmm. it's like totally, um, it's, you know, might as well be 
I don't know, anywhere, a made up place, <laughs> for, especially for kids in Kentucky and Ohio, right. like when you're coming up. And then, of course, now so much of the focus mm-hmm. in foreign policy, well, not right now, right now we're really focused on Russia and sure, Ukraine, yeah, but yeah. I don't know, six weeks ago, yeah. so much of the focus has been on the Middle East. Right. How did that, did that shift happen when you were still younger, like the Cold War and all of that? I mean, not the Cold War, um, the Gulf War mm-hmm. and all of that. You were here in America. Right. Like, how did that shift for you? And what do you feel like? What was that like? Um, it's kind of a huge question. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> so it was really, it was, it was, it was disconcerting. I talk about two, like the, the, the book is mostly comic, as you said, as the title said. Yeah. Um, but there are a couple of, you know, serious points. And that was the, both of the Gulf Wars and then 9-11, obviously. Um, and I think it went, yeah, I went from, cause I, I, we came over in the seventies and they didn't, people didn't know what Iraq was. And I think, you know, there was a time, a point where I was at a, a ice skating rink with my dad and my dad was speaking to me in Arabic and a father and, a, and his child came by and the kid and the kid's like, dad, what are they, what are they speaking? Where are they, where are they from? And he's like, I don't know, probably Mexican, <laughs> you know, because that was the thing, right? right. Nobody. And, um, I don't know. I think I was just so desperate to fit in that I was like, sure, I'll be whatever. I'll like, be whatever's easy. Yeah. I don't want like, I, I don't know why it was a, such a, you know, scary thing for me to say, but also because we came around, we came here around the time of the Iran, you know, like the hostage. Right. And so there was that whole thing of like, oh, are you from Iran? You know, Iran and Iraq get confused and right. all that kind of thing. During the Gulf War, um, I was in college. And so it was, it was an interesting thing because it was kind of, um, you know, my brother, it was that whole thing, like we were American citizens, so he could potentially be drafted. So it was this mm. weird realm, right? That, you know, that whole thing. And then on top of it, like you're in class with these people, you're, um, you know, who one of the women, I think, uh, said something like, oh God, why don't we just bomb them? You know, I, I remember I, I, I'd heard a lot of that in, in high school Libya, the, the Libya crisis was okay. going on. And so that was how, you know, why don't we just bomb that part of the world? And then you're just like, okay, these people are ignorant. But then you get to college and they're saying, you know, why don't we just bomb them? And, but, and, and you're, so then you ask, well, what's the story? Right. And they're like, and she's like, well, and it's obviously she had a personal interest in it. And her, her fiance was fighting over there. And if he gets killed, she's going to be, right. you know, and she's like, what are we doing? Why are we fighting? And so I, and so you, you kind of, it's that whole empathy thing. And, and always for me, always kind of leading with this, I'm here in America. I need to assimilate. I need to fit in. What is the right way to fit in? What right. am I supposed to? It's, I was always that question of how am I supposed to feel? Right. And that's, and it's taken this long. I mean, that's why you know, I don't know that we want to get, you have a question in the questionnaire, but like the very last question of what would you require Donald Trump to read? There's a section in, in the book that talks about Donald Trump and how he actually wasn't as horrific for the country in the sense that it allowed people like me to kind of push our voices louder, right. you know? Right. And, um, and I think that it, it's not until recently this whole idea for me, this whole idea of authenticity and being who you are, there's no mm-hmm. way you're supposed to be. Right. But back then I was like, ah, I want to make it okay for you 
that I'm from Iraq and I want you to feel safe and comfortable around me because I'm not that or that's not, that's not, that's not my family. We don't have those beliefs or whatever. Right. And so that's the thing, like you would get and, and, um, and then around, you know, so then it was, it became that whole thing. Well, you're not like them, right? Right. Or after 9-11, well, you're not like those people. And you learn, it's kind of like, I don't know how to, like, I'm, I'm working on a good analogy of it, but like, not dealing with like accepting the scraps or just like divvying out like, you know, right. I don't like maybe you can. Well, you're saying that you're coming to terms with this idea that you don't have to accept other people's understanding of whether it's Muslim folks or right. Arab folks or whatever it is that your, your wholeness right. isn't tied up in other people's mi- misconceptions. Is that kind of? Yeah. And also I think it's diminishing. Like you, I think, I, if I, I look back at everything and I think, wow, I really diminished myself. Right. Okay. I see. You have to, but I kind of had to. Right. It was, so a, I thought, it was a different time different and, it's, time. and right. it's hard. And I think, I think you're smart to say what you said about Trump, not necessarily that, you know, he's done good for people or has helped people, um, you know, marginalized folks, or as you said, the other, mm-hmm. but that he has at least made it okay to talk about some of this stuff yeah. that we weren't talking about. Now, is the trade-off that maybe <laughs> maybe we wouldn't have to have like kids in cages at the border right. so that we could all talk about this? Like it seems like a pretty shitty exactly. give and take, yeah. but I hear what you're saying about him. And I think that you're not, certainly not the first to say that. And I think a lot of people from marginalized groups right. have found their voice and their strength and have come to similar understandings of I was doing things that were problematic or hurtful mm-hmm. to my own success right. in the past. And now I'm recognizing that I, I actually wasn't alone or I didn't have to do that. Yeah. You know? Right. And I think I, I just want to be clear, and it talks about it in the book, because my friend skewered me about this. She's <laughs> like, You can't are you really saying that Donald Trump is doing good for the country? And I'm like, No, no, no. no. What I'm saying is there is so much vitriol coming from a certain area that the other voices came out right. and went, all right, fine. Right, exactly. This is what we got. And and it helped us as much as it was, we were worried that it was going to, def- well, I was worried that it was going to divide us. It actually, I felt like unified us. Or maybe I just, you know, you gravitate towards your, your people. Yeah, and I think it not, may. And by that, I don't mean my my people, like my immigrant people. I mean like people who are like-minded. Who and, share your yeah. your spirit. Yeah, so I don't want is. your listeners, listeners to be like, okay, they're like, what? No, no, I hear what you're saying. It's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily, it's just that he made space for some terrible, terrible dialogue. Yeah. And it allowed for people to yeah. actually respond to it. Correct. Where a lot of it was microaggressions or things that people made you feel like, oh, exactly. Oh, you're making that up. That's not racist. Right. And right, now right, I can right. be like, don't you see that that's racist? Yeah, like, yeah. don't you see that that's anti-Muslim or don't you see, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's and a it great also way made space it. for people to run for office who have now become public figures mm-hmm. who we just wouldn't have seen, yeah. you know, like the freshmen, what do they call them? The squad. The squad yeah. Like those women, are you kidding me? Those women were not going to be in Congress right? if it weren't for, so he's done terrible, terrible things and I will not defend a, a single thing he's done, yeah. but I do understand what you're saying that he's made space right. for other voices to come forward. Right. Um, in your book, you tell it kind of through a bunch of little vignettes and stories about your life and stuff. Aside from your mom being worried, were, were you ever nervous or worried about telling your stories? Did you think 100%? I shouldn't do these. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, in fact, well, for two, uh, let me see if I can. Yes, to summer, 100% I did. 
I felt like for two reasons. A, um, I didn't think I had anything important to say to yeah. anybody other than my friends or people that knew me or a select group of people because I thought, you know, to me, memoirs were about something serious, people that did serious things. And, you know, mine was just a story. Right. But it all kind of changed. So as I was writing this, um, it all changed because it was, it was started in 2016 and then it kind of, mm. you know, it was published just earlier this year. Um, and so it, it, as I was, the way I wrote it changed just because the world changed. And right. so I, I kind of, it allowed me, I felt a little bit better about it, having, you know, talking to people and people were actually interested, but I was, but also like writing something, writing fiction, you can hide behind characters Right. when you're not, when you're writing as Acer, there's no way to hide. And, you know, I joke with my friends, I'm like, who's the guy that, um, Oprah, like, you know, basically reamed for making up, I think James Fry. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about him all the time. Yeah. 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 I love I don't want to be like that guy. And I'm like, <laughs> what if I'm on Oprah? Uh, you know, that, right. oh, that, I, that would ever happen. That would be amazing. But I don't want her to say, well, did this really happen? Acer, you know, like, right. what is this? And then all of a sudden, like, I mean, you know, I'm the outcast of the world. So there was that, right. um, fear and, and, and it's scary. But then again, once I embrace that, it's so liberating. And I real, and I found that I like the writing, like ideas that I maybe had thought were not really, Oh, this isn't really going to fit, you know? Right. Um, because basically the, the through line of the book is me feeling like the other, me feeling like the outsider. And then I go to college and, um, spoiler there, <laughs> there's a point in there where I realized I actually am kind of privileged in a mm. way because I can pass and I right. have spent my life trying to pass. Right. Right. Whereas somebody who I had a, in college, I had an African American roommate. She couldn't pass. Right. And I had no idea about that again. Right. Like it's, it, that's why I'm like this more, you know, as I've gotten older as I, and the whole idea of intersectionality and, um, is, is just, it blows me away because I did not know her experience. I just knew my experience mm. being an immigrant, being, you know, where you talk funny and you have a weird name but at least walking down the street, I can, I don't know, just be a dark skinned, you know, American person or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. or not, like not, Italian not even, or not even dark skin. I'm sorry. Dark haired is what I'm saying. Light, right. you know, but yeah, Italian or, or Mexican or whatever. Right. And that was accepted. And it was, it kind of, I didn't, I don't think that I would have come to that as quickly had I not been writing it as myself. Mm. And that's why. I, you know, recommend to everybody, if you're not, even if you're not a memoir writer, you should just write it, like write a memoir, mm. you know, even if it's in your journal, because it really, you find yourself and then you're able to imbue that into fiction, fictional characters. Right. So, That's um, such good advice. Yeah. I love that. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? 
With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Um, we're going to shift off your book. We're going to shift to your reading. But in Ooh. between, we do a little thing called Ask the Stacks. Someone has written in. They want book recommendations. Okay. So I'm going to read to you what they said, and then we're going to try to come up with some books for them. So this comes from Valeria. And I picked her specifically, this email, because we're reading Valeria Luiselli next week. So mm. I thought... Let me tie it in. Um, anyways, she says, I'm looking for a, for book recommendations. I have recently read Stay With Me and The Stranger Beside Me, both of which I loved. I like alternating between fiction and nonfiction. I also have a four-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So looking for anything I can read between preschool drop-offs and pickups. Are you familiar with either of those books? I So Stay With Me, I've not read, but it's a fiction book about a couple and I, I believe the story has something to do with the wife can't get pregnant mm. and there's some sort of pregnancy drama. Okay. The other book, The Stranger Beside Me, are you familiar with that one? That's the Anne Rule. It's about when she was living like next door to Ted Bundy. So it's a true crime book. Oh, oh, okay. um, I know. I, I was like, I don't know if she's going to be familiar with these. So it kind of feels like Valeria has runs the spectrum, but what I'm hearing most yeah. from this email is that she wants something that's really going to be cap- captivating to her because okay. she wants to be able to pick it up and put it down and like stay with it. Right. So here's what I came up with um, for you, Valeria. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. The first one is The Kite Rudder by Khalid Hosseini. Mm, yeah. Such a beautiful book. Yeah. It's so well written. Intense. Uh, it's really intense. I feel like Stay With Me kind of has that same kind of family sweeping narrative, readable one of the best books I've read in the last lifetime, my lifetime. <laughs> my next pick for you is Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi. It's the story of the Manson murders. He was the uh, prosecuting attorney. So the first half of the book is all about 
the Manson murders. And then the second half is all about the trial. I will say I love this book. It's one of my all-time faves. But some people think that it gets slow when it gets to the trial. So if you're not into trial procedural stuff, you might not love it. But I love it. And then the last one I have not read, but I'm reading it next. It's called Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. It's a book of essays about current pop culture, being a woman, being alive right now, social media, all of these things. And it's essays. So that might be really nice for you when you're doing pick up and drop off because then you don't have to commit to the book. You can just read an essay at a time. So those are my picks. Does anything come to mind? Well, I'm struck by the fact that you've uh, recommended Helter Skelter between preschool pickups. Like, <laughs> well, she had the stranger beside me, so I thought we could go true crime. <laughs> no, no, no. And you're probably you're probably right because I would go. I don't know, like something maybe funny because when you greet your child. Yeah, um, I don't know. No, I, um, I, gosh, no. You know what? Uh, I don't know what I would add to that. That is. Um, not the opposite of that. Do opposite. Okay. Uh, well, I'm loving – so I love nonfiction because I love and, – and it kind of plays into the um, – what you're talking – like the the true crime kind of thing because I feel like the maybe the reason to read true crime uh, – and I don't because it gets into my psyche, but I feel like if I did, it would be because I want to understand yeah. why. So my, my lighter version of that is any Malcolm Gladwell book okay. because – it's like um, I'm reading right now uh, what the dog saw. Yeah. And it's just interesting because, you know, he's so wonderful in that he makes everything into a narrative. And, it's yeah. like, you know, so these like, you know, trends and things like that, like he talks about um, the creation of, of women's hair color mm. and um, the reason why Cesar Milan has, has, uh, has been so um, popular with, you know, getting animals. To he's the dog whisperer. Yeah. Okay. He's a dog whisperer because basically he, the, the, the title of the book is it's not what you're not, it's, you're not trying to, I think I'm going to butcher this. So I apologize, but, uh, it's not, you're not trying to get the dog to see what you want it to do. You want it, you want to see what the dog sees right. when you do the, you know, the, the motions and, uh, or the, you know, the, the hand gestures and the, what is it? The, I don't know. Trying to train the dog anyway. Yeah. But, um, but so I love those and they're, and they're small, they're like chapters. So yeah. They're, they're like they're, essays. Yeah. Kind of. Um, the other book I absolutely love is again, it's the kind of animal I'm really into like animal thought behavior, the soul of an octopus. Oh yeah. I'm a huge, I'm obsessed with the octopus because it's really the smartest animal. I've heard a lot about this book and how amazing it is and how amazing octopus are. Yeah. It's, you know, I thought it was octopi, but it's octopuses because it's Greek. Yeah, it's not what I I know or, that the plural yeah. is not what I want yeah, it to yeah, be. Yeah. So I the, yeah. just say octopus. Yeah, and the just octopus. Just kind of like roll my eyes and pretend. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's amazing. It's just I mean I really um you know you Google any like octopus trying to get out of a I mean they're super smart right. and they're finding now that like there there's brains in their tentacles oh you gosh. know and and so I've stopped I mean I used to at one point eat octopus and I'm like nope I'm not gonna but um but that's a really great book because again it gets into like the idea like what animals you know do animals think right and all that kind of thing um and those I, are so good those am I good supposed reps. to pick a third one no no let's I, leave yours are better no 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 I, yeah. I love your Malcolm Gladwell suggestions though have you read his newest book which which is a new talking book? to strangers it just came out this year no okay when you read it, let me know what you thought. Why? Because I love, I 
really like him. Yeah. I have read all of his books. Uh-huh. I listen to his podcast. And in the last, his podcast is maybe three or four seasons. I listen to every episode. In the last like year, he's kind of jumped the shark a little really? bit. He's kind of, um, also, I feel like he's riding on his his intellectual capital and being like a smart person that uh-huh. we all agree is a smart person. Right. And I think in this book, he, in talking to strangers, he really um, relies on that and does not rely on his storytelling and his argument making. Mm-hmm. And he tries to talk about a lot of really delicate social issues. For instance, the Stanford rape case, mm-hmm. um, the Sandra Bland killing yeah. Um, so he's talking about racism. He's talking about Larry Nasser, the gymnast yeah, yeah, yeah. guy, uh-huh. um, and the guy who assaulted all the gymnasts. And he is not talking about it. He like he's talking about racism without talking about race, and he's talking about sexual assault without talking about power. Uh-huh. And he's trying to instead talk about how they're strangers, and it's like a miscommunication. And it's like his argument is super duper flawed in this book, mm-hmm. but he relies on being Malcolm Gladwell, and yeah. it was one of my least favorite reading experiences of this year, mm-hmm. but I normally love him. And yeah. so it's kind of been hard Check for me because listening to his podcast, I was feeling like he kind of was moving in a direction I wasn't super into. It almost felt like he's been told, you need to be talking about current events and really hot topics. And so he mm-hmm. tried to force that into yeah. what he does instead of just doing his Malcolm Gladwell thing, which is normally picking really obscure examples yeah. and taking a point and like really spinning it finely, you know? So I'll be interested to hear what you think. Yeah. Um, Okay. Now to your reading. We always start here. Two books you love, one book you hate. I love The Importance of Being Earnest. Okay. Oscar Wilde. I just love um, the whole, I love like slapstick and that, that, you know, kind of mistaken identity. I just absolutely love a French farce, even though it's not French. Um, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Mm. I love that. I saw the movie and, you know, it was still, it was good in its own right. Is that with... Kate, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. Is it yeah. out? Yeah, it came and went. Unfortunately, it, I don't. I think a lot of maybe didn't get promote press. And yeah, it didn't really. People didn't like. It. I never oh, understand what how, what. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, okay, so um, one book I hate. Um, I, I don't know that I hated it, but I never really understood the Catcher in the Rye. Oh my gosh, you're like only the nine hundredth person <laughs> to pick that. I think. I think again, like going back, and I think like it's the required reading and I'm supposed to identify with this person, but I'm like, I have nothing in common with this person because I'm an Arab, you know, woman. And I found the main character really annoying. Yeah. And that book comes up more than any other book on this podcast for either book you love or book you hate. Really? And I think maybe there's only been 10 episodes where it hasn't come up. Can we, okay. So then can you talk about like the, the demographics? I can't of, quite, I think which? that mostly what it is, is if you read the book when you were 16. Yeah. And, if you never reread it, and if you're white, and most of the time if you're male, yeah. you like the book. Okay. If you reread it, if you read it when you were 25 for the first time, yeah. if you read it and you're a brown person, brown if person. you read it and you're a woman, it doesn't always click. Though we have had some women who read it in high school and loved it, but yeah. mostly the hate comes from the other. And yeah. pe- like I read it when I was like 22 and I was like, this is dumb, but I got to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's kind of what I've like, those are the two camps. Yeah. But yeah. I, and today, yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like back then I was like, oh, I'm not going to say that I did. But now I'm like, inter- I can claim intersectionality yeah. as the reason I didn't, you know, it didn't resonate with me. I'm right. Like, well, I wasn't like, yeah, but brown people, I mean, that's. I think, I think yeah. that's uh, yeah. oftentimes. 
That's fair. Okay. What are you, uh, what's the last great book you read? Let's say, tell me how it ends. Yeah. Because we're going to talk. We're going to talk about it. So uh, we'll literally, talk. it's the last book I read and it's, it's, it's a great book. Pretty great book. Yeah. Okay. What about, what are you reading now? I have a very bad habit of getting almost to the end of a book and, and then stopping, stopping, not with fiction, <laughs> okay. but with nonfiction, like the soul right. of an octopus. I have stopped. I have gotten almost to the end. <laughs> right. So I could say that I'm currently reading that. Um, my, will you finish it? Yeah, I, I will. Or is that not something that you no, do? No, I don't know why. It's not a thing. Like a lot of my, you know, like what is the Woody Allen, like never reads the, no, Woody Allen would only, would read the ending because he wanted to make sure it had a happy ending oh. in any hall. No, I, some of my friends, like they don't want to ever read it because then it's finished and then they, they're I heard sad. That. No, I, it, it, it's not a, a, uh, a, a, an actual, a, a, a conscious thing that I do. I just, I'm like, oh, shiny object. Oh, here's something okay. else there. I don't know. <laughs> um, one of the, I, this probably counts. One of the, um, the perks I say, because this is my very first one that I've done. My, my agent is also the agent of, uh, Mara Gad and her book, The Color of Love. Okay. Just came out this Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, the 12th of November. Okay. And, um, as part of, I was able, you know, because I shared the agent, he asked me if I would write a, a oh, blurb awesome. and I was so honored and it's so amazing. It's, she's a African-American, she's mixed race, African-American, um, Jewish. Her like mother, me. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I did not know. That's, yeah. that's, oh, you would love it. I have it in my, yeah, it's, oh, I have seen this. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. And I, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, you always go into it wanting to read. You're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like this because I have to do a blurb. And, right. But I loved it, and oh. she is so her. You know, she was put up for adoption, and she was adopted by a Jewish family. Oh. And it's basically her relationship with her uh, great aunt. Got it. And the kind of racism, and you know, again, like this book. I'm glad. I wish it had existed when I was younger. But while I was, you know, dealing with like you know, people not pronouncing my name or thinking I was Mexican. She was actually dealing with, with legit racism from her own family. Right. And I was like, wow, like mm. she, you're a badass. So I really, I, I just finished this, um, you know, not, not too long ago. So, and I really love, love the book and, mm. it, and it just came out. So that's awesome. Um, um, how do you pick the next book you're going to read if you're not blurbing it? If, do you go with recommendations from friends? Are you reading Publishers Weekly? Like, where do you get your book? from? Um, mainly actually from, uh, the, a bookstagram. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, literally from the cover. I love bookstagram. <laughs> bookstagram is such a beautiful place. It's great. I did not know about it until my book came out. It's, I didn't know about amazing. it until I started doing the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, I guess I should create a social media account for my podcast that I haven't started yet. Yeah. And then I found all these people that it's are now my friends. So great. Yeah. And I just love it there. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I always feel like, you know, they, they take such care to like craft, you know, the photo and the flowers and the coffee. I know. Some of the people beautiful. are just such amazing artists. Yeah. I'm blown away. Yeah. And then some of the people are really creative and smart writers and they write amazing reviews. And I kind of try to follow a mix of those people, but it's yeah. just, uh, it's, I'm, hum I was humbled by the outpouring, you know, that happened when, when my book came out. I just, yeah. And it's, and it's really cool to, because they, yeah, they do very thoughtful, you know, reviews. So like, this is why I like the book. This is how it relates to my life. And you know, right. you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, wow, thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. That's awesome. Shout out Bookstagram. Look yeah. at you. Um, <laughs> what's a book that you really like to recommend to people? Okay. So I'm a big Steve Martin fan. Okay. 
And I love his book, Pure. It's a little booklet. It's yeah, pure, it's it's tiny. pure drivel. And he's a fantastic, he's, well, first of all, he's an amazing playwright and he's a writer and he's written, you know, these, these um, novels, but this is just a book of, it's called Pure Drivel. And it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know how, like not a hundred pages and it's just nonsense. <laughs> and it's just, again, I get back to that absurd thing. It's just so funny. Like you can't, if you're having a bad day, you just pick it up and, you know, um, read it. Uh, so that's one book. I love, um, my family and other animals, which is Gerald Durrell. That's the reason back it's, um, he was a biologist and his family is in English and his family lived in Greece overseas. Um, but again, it was that kind of spoke, it was like, I was living in Saturday at the time, even though we weren't British. I just kind of, it's another dysfunctional, warm, hmm. loving family that I, you know, any, you know what, any book that has a dysfunctional family, I'm usually, that's like, something you're yeah, into. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> What's the last really good book that someone has recommended to you? Um, well, I have to say, tell me how it ends. Oh, yes. Because. I love when it's me that recommends That's right. Book. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any things that you wish were different about your reading? Um, yeah, that I actually did more of it. Um, I, that, you know, that I don't get to, I wish I didn't get so distracted by the internet and I read, read more. Truly the internet is the worst thing that's happened to right? reading. Yeah. And, and I, the best. It, yeah. And I don't read, I like to read hard cover, yeah. like, yeah. um, your paper. I, like I want to hold the paper. I do listen to audiobooks because I found that it allows me to read more. Like mm. when I'm at the gym or if I'm taking a hike or totally cleaning, you know, doing a mindless act. Like I feel like it, it helps. And for some reason I absorb more when it's spoken to me. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I think that I absorb better when I'm reading on the page mm-hmm. because I think I get distracted by other things when I'm listening. And I've been listening to podcasts for a really long time. And right. so I'm really used to the way that podcasts function. So if a podcast is super narrative, I oftentimes don't like it because I'm more interested in a conversation than I am in a storytelling audially. Audially? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. There's a word there. Um, we'll, we'll but a word. I've learned that a lot of people who are audio learners much prefer audiobooks because they retain much better than than people like myself who are visual learners. Like when I read a book, I can tell you where on the page a thing was that was important to me. Oh, that's I can say like, oh, it was on, it was on like the left page, kind of high up. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Or like I can tell you where the numbers are because I I have a much more visual sense of learning. Uh-huh. And in my own personal, you know, self centeredness, I never really thought about that other people learn other ways. Sure. You know, you learn that in school. Like you could be an audio learner, a visual learner, a tactile learner. But for people who learn through hearing, mm-hmm. audiobooks are huge and they retain way more and and they can listen to a million books and remember every little detail where for me, it's like if I listen to a fiction book on audio, I might as well not even listen. <laughs> like I just totally zone out. I can't stay with it, which is so weird. That could be really cheap for you though because you could just listen to the same book over and over. I'm like, great, I listened to this book. <laughs> hey, I'm going to listen to this book again. I do a lot of my audiobook <laughs> listening through the library actually for that reason oh, right. because I feel really guilty buying Buying yeah. a book that I don't pay attention right. to, but, but um, yeah, I you know when I was a kid, I think I had you, you have more time, and I would love, I would like, like I came in here with a big stat, like a, a bag of books um, that I love. When I I would go to the library and literally, like when I was a kid, like <laughs> cock my head to the to the side and just like go down the aisles and like, okay, well that looks interesting, that looks interesting, and just grab all these books and 
disappear into my room. And I miss that. I yeah. miss being able to disappear. I think now, I think when I read, there's an impatience. Like I feel like I just want to get to the end and I don't savor it as much. Yeah. And that kind of bums me out a little bit. Yeah. So you so want to be more. I want to, yeah, I want to have more time to be more thoughtful. Like again, all these bookstagram people are like, oh, I can't wait to curl up with a book. And I'm like, oh, I, I would, I want to have that that desire because Again, I'm always like, oh, I got to yeah. be doing this. I should be doing that. Right. And it's not, you know, I'm not proud of that. So I feel that that's yeah. very relatable. What's a book that you feel proud about having read? Okay. So I read The Fountainhead. Oh, in two days, one Christmas break <gasps> when I was at my parents' house. Whoa. And again, going back to that whole, I just want to know what happens kind of thing. And I was in college and, um, it, it spoke to me and that whole idea of individuality. And so I was, it changed my life or so I thought, you know, when you're young, right, of course. you're like, uh, everything, I'm going to be a libertarian. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, not that it matters, but, um, I really, I think it was the first book of its kind that resonated, that, you know, struck me that way. And it could also be the fact that, you know, I went to school, I, I did, I finished high school here in the States, but I, I was overseas for, uh, from when I was nine to 10 at 15. So that was like, I think I came here for 11th grade. Okay. So, but I found that most of the required reading was like between ninth grade and 10th grade. Hmm. Over here, is that? Am I not right? I don't know because we we basically they recommended Great Expectations over and over and over. Oh, I and I that. I love that book oh. for that reason. But um, there was and, and there was a lot of like horror short story stuff. Huh. But I feel like I didn't you know read a lot of the books that were recommended. And then you think, okay, I'm gonna get to it, and like you know, catching the ride, and you're like, this is what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> but the Fountainhead, for some reason, I was like, whoa, this was is that school reading? No, for it, some it wasn't. No, uh, oh. I thought wasn't it? Not for me. Oh, okay. But I grew up in the Bay Area, right? So I don't know if that. I don't Aunt know. Ayn yeah. Rand is like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. It really. I just. I think it was just again that you. I got sucked into it. Right. It was nothing. I know it's all poli- political related, but I think the fact that I just I like this is a, coming from another country and this idea of right. individuality that part of it resonated. Really resonated. So that's great. I love that. Are there any books that you feel embarrassed that you still have not read? Um, yes. Okay. So <laughs> Hugh Laurie. As she settles in. Yes. I, okay. So Hugh Laurie is one of my all time idols. The actor? The actor. But house or whatever. House. Yeah. Okay. But he's also an amazing musician. He has jazz okay. album and he's written this, so he's written two books. This first one he wrote called The Gunseller um, a while ago. Like he was still on house, I think, when it came out. And I bought it and I thought, oh, great. I'm going to, this is amazing. I'm going to read it. And it's basically kind of a, it's a parody of, uh, it's an espionage sort of um, parody, a satire. And it's, you know, just, it's, it's fun. It's clever. There's nothing, I don't know what my problem is. I have tried <laughs> to read it several, I mean, I've had this book for 10 years. I even went to England um, I took it with me and I thought, okay, I'm going to sit in a cafe in this small, sleepy English town and I still haven't finished it. And I'm really <laughs> embarrassed, but you know what? Now that I've publicly claimed this, now I'm going to, to finish it. it. And you have to post your bookstagram post about but- <laughs> it. Do like a beautiful yes. shot of exactly. book so everyone can see it. <laughs> so yeah, so that's a book that I'm embarrassed because I love him. I just think he is a genius and it's a good book, but for some reason- You just can't get into it. Sister can't get into it. It's not working for you. 
I want to talk about the first book or some of the books where you feel like you seen you saw yourself represented mm-hmm. and specifically books about Muslim and or Arab and or Iraq or I just I'm curious because I don't that's a kind of a blind spot in my reading right there's a few books that I'm familiar with and and I'm just curious kind of like what that was like for you if there were books that you were like wow Mm -hmm. I'm here in these pages um well I'm curious what the books were for you that for that I saw myself oh that yourself yeah yeah um hmm I don't know I mean I feel like as far as like black literature there's a lot. So I feel like uh, that's a good question. Someone should ask it on a podcast. I just, I just flipped it. I know you did flip it. I'm trying to think what (laughs) books I felt like I saw myself represented. Well, I'm also Jewish. So I definitely remember being young and reading Number of the Stars with Mm -hmm. my mom, Mm -hmm. which is Lewis Lowry. And I really liked that book. Mm -hmm. That was about the Holocaust, which is also kind of crazy that, that I was into the Holocaust like as a child because that's very much still like in my interests. Yeah. Like terrible things. Well, because um, it's fast. Like the it's whole so fast. How could it have happened? You right. Know, it's that. Right. I'm trying to think what like stories of black people where I saw myself reflected. Gosh, I've actually never really thought about this question for myself if I'm being fully honest with you. Hmm. Good. I'm stumped. Well, it's it's easy to do because, you know. It's so rare. Yeah. Like, okay, I do remember reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and thinking like, damn. Yeah. Like what, like black people are awesome. Right. Though I don't know if I saw myself reflected in that. Right. But I definitely felt a connection to that part of me. But do you think that's also a um, um, uh, factor of the fact that maybe that book hasn't been written yet? Or yeah. that it's being written now? Well, I think there are books now that I've read, like as an adult, that I felt more connected to. Like I recently read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, like yeah. last year. Uh-huh. And I definitely saw myself reflected back, but I don't necessarily think that it was a pivotal moment for me. And sure. I know some people do have that pivotal moment book where they feel themselves reflected back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like yeah. I remember really liking Matilda as a kid because mm-hmm. she liked to read, but right. like everything else about her was not me at all. Right. Well, see, and that's the thing. Like, I think, um, for me, the book, like there's, that's why I wrote that book because I wanted it to exist when I was younger. Right. I wanted, you know, again, that sounds like a narcissistic (laughs) thing to say, but it's, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. Like you, you, you go out and create what you don't see. Right. Right. Um, so for me, like I said earlier, my family and other animals, right. the, the book, you know, because of the, it was always, it was never fully a whole book. So I, I think what I'm, what I'm getting from you also, maybe we're thinking the same is that it's, it's aspects of things, yeah, moments. right? Yeah. So, but the, the one that came closest to me was, um, funny and Farsi by Fereza Dumas. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a memoir of her growing up Iranian in America. Right. And, um, you know, it's just for me, like, it's clo- it was close enough to my experience and actually i shouldn't say it closer than you would think cuz my my parents my mother's side my mother has um she's half iranian as well okay so um there's that but but yeah the whole immigrant thing the whole being from that region you right. know really and it was the first time i was like this is really funny and it and it kind of gave me permission mm. years later well it gave me permission yeah it gave me permission years later to write my own thing that wasn't a serious thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. Um, but yeah, I think that's, but it's, it's changing what I'm loving about what I'm seeing out right now is, and what, you know, when I was writing this book, it was having to do the comps 
you know, right. for it. And, and I, there was for very, people who don't know what that is, comps are basically other books that are similar to your book and how, how those books, like how you could pitch your book basically right. is by saying it's a little bit of this and a little bit right. of that. Right. It's and, funny girl meets my it, fair lady. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you're and, a musical theater fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like most of the, the book, like my thing was, it was less cultural and more funny. Like let's pretend this never happened by Jenny Lawson, you mm. know, um, She's not, she's white and from Texas and she's right. hilarious. And, but it's that kind of awkward girl sort of thing. Right. So it's just, I think, I think that's the thing is, is being now that we're more, the world is smaller, if you will, you know, with all of, and there's so many good content coming out. There's so much good, you know, written content and, you know, on television, like we're seeing our, I'm seeing myself on TV a lot more. Right. So I feel like there's going to be a lot more books that will allow me to, to yeah. connect. And I think also just like we're so much more focused on intersectionality now yeah. and a lot of books 100%. where I saw myself represented in little moments yeah. weren't all the things. Right. Like you could relate to this part of this book or this part of that book. And now I feel that there's being space made for people to write super specific narratives yeah. Yeah. that are not necessarily universal, right? right. The universal story is kind of done yeah you know yeah. it's like okay we did universal and exactly. by universal you meant white guy right. super not universal but thank you <laughs> yeah thank you for coming <laughs> um, okay before we get out of here I definitely want to talk about because you brought it up movie film adaptation <laughs> better than the book worse than the book okay so um silver linings playbook oh I love that movie so much okay it's so great and I read the book I didn't even know it was a book yeah, it's um it's based on the guy's real oh, okay. life. Okay. And um I think I want to say Matthew Quick uh his real yeah, but it I felt like again, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a visual. It's weird. I'm a visual person. Mm-hmm. I like to I like to take in visual or I I ascribe, you know, vis, I remember visual like images. Right. So, um this is not a knock on the book, but I felt like the main character was more it was he was more sympathetic in the mm. movie. In the book, I found him to be a little bit unlikable. It's the Bradley Cooper character, yeah, okay. yeah, where he's like this, you know, he's uh, has mental, he, he's basically anxiety and all these problems that that he's trying to work through. Right. He says he's been white knuckling it, you know, and then he finally, you know, gets the help and then meets somebody. And so, yeah, and David Russell is so great with like these little moments. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're just little moments where, you know, they're, they're kind of minor, like incidental moments that are, that are great. And so I really loved that. I loved the, um, uh, Devil Wears Prada. Mm. Again, I felt like it was more realized. I felt like the book, the, right. the I felt like the, on the page, the book was, she was kind of, I don't know, I want to say whiny. That's Anne Hathaway? No. Character? The, yeah. But in the movie, I just... And maybe, I mean, I don't know. It, it, in the movie, she seems, I was more, I, I had more empathy right. towards her. And of course, Meryl Streep. Right. Um, so it helps. Just bumps yeah. your movie up. Right. Like. Exactly. Just, you know. <laughs> I, um, I have gotten into, I almost got into a fight at a dinner party because. Uh-oh, I'm so excited. Because I told the guy that I, I basically said that season two of Game of Thrones was better than the book. The, whatever the, the book, book. The, oh. the, that particular book was. And I, um, and just that, just that seat, just that particular season, I don't wow. claim, like I read, I started reading the books at season two. So I, st- and I caught up and then, um, 
I don't think I read the very last one. So I, I, I'm only speaking about that one, but just the way they did this particular scene and I tried to break it down, but he was not having not it having and it. he got mad. And so I always, <laughs> I always, uh, that becomes a joke. I'm like, okay, am I going to tank your dinner party? Cause right. <laughs> like, are we talking like, Game of Thrones or not? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by if people have answers to that. A lot of the time it's hard because it's so often that the book is better than the movie. Yeah. The well, TV that's show. usually what it is. Yeah. And I'm the heathen that thinks that. Well, my, sometimes it's better. My, you, Black Klansman uh, was I, a way better movie. Oh, I didn't. Like so much really? better. The book was pretty to me. Yeah. Like pretty mediocre. And the movie, I was really into. I love the movie. I saw it Yeah. Twice. The movie's so it. good. Don't yeah. read the book if you like the movie. Really? I, that's okay. my opinion. What? No, so, okay, then, because, again, I have my reasons and, yeah. you know, I'm... I, I think that the guy whose story it is, Ron Stallworth, yeah. I think that he has some... He is wrapped up in some internalized racism, you know, anti-blackness. Mm. Um, and so I think that that comes out in the book. It. And it's not quite as, like... Fuck the clan. Like, it's not quite as... It pulls punches? The book... Well, the movie is much more black power. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's saying something. And yeah. the book is kind of more along the lines of, you know, they were in the clan, but they were also nice guys. Uh -huh. you know, it's like that kind of thing where you're like, yeah, what yeah, are yeah. you doing? Why yeah, are yeah, we yeah. here? I hate this. I right, hate right. this. I want to go. And it's not that well written. It's fine. Right. It's just, it's just a fine memoir. But I felt like the movie was had a point yeah, yeah. that wasn't just, right. I infiltrated the clan. But do you think, okay, so here's the thing is I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine um, when I was telling her about, you know, coming on this podcast and like how I feel embarrassed that a lot of times I, fi I favor the book. I mean, I favor the movie or the show. Uh -huh. And she's like, yeah, all authors basically exploded all around the, the universe now for <laughs> you saying that you, you, you heathen. <laughs> um, but do you think it's because like you're like, even though it's in it's in your imagination, you um, it kind of stop like it's more dimensional. Hmm. Whereas, well, I don't know because I normally like the book more. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't have a good answer, but I definitely think that I think that when a when a script is written from a book, if it's a good writer and a good director, mm -hmm. you have a chance. Right. But I think that if the book is just amazing and someone tries to adapt oh, it, absolutely. I think that's where the problem is. Sh totally. I think yeah. that if the director doesn't have a vision for what they want to do or why they want to tell this story, mm -hmm. I think that's where you get screwed. Yeah. We were taught in film school that uh, I took an adaptation class and, and the professor said, it's really, it's very difficult to make a good movie off of a great book. Right. But it's really easy to make a good movie off of a crappy book. I think that's true because I think then you can take it yeah. and make changes and yeah. make it make sense. Right. Whereas if you're trying to adapt something that's universally praised, people yeah. are just going to hate it because yeah. they already love the book. Right. Okay. Last question. Always the last question. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? What kind of grade level are we talking here? You can decide, you can interpret this question. I always get, people always try to ask for clarification. Will he understand the book? Will he finish it? Uh, I, in my asking of the question, he will understand it. He will finish it. Will he take it into account in his policy and his life? I don't know. Well, why don't we have him read, tell me how it ends? Yeah. 
that would have been really helpful. I wish you'd read it, I don't know, before he was president. Right. But yes, tell me how it ends. Okay, that's a great segue. Next week, we're talking about Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria Luiselli. It is a nonfiction book. It is super tiny. I'm going to say this to you. I said it to Acer when she asked me if she had to read the whole book. (laughs) I said, yes, it's only 107 pages. The book is tiny. It's a one-day thing. It's a one-day or one-sitting type of situation. If you're a serious reader, it's definitely one-sitting. You could do it in five days, but it's not a ton. Or a two-hike thing. It's a two-hike thing. Yeah. How long was the audiobook? Uh, it's like an, uh, two hours, I think. Or yeah. Something so like that. two hours. So you're, you're good. If you haven't started it yet, you have the time, please do. The book is amazing. We will talk about it next week in detail. It's nonfiction, so there won't be spoilers, but I recommend reading the book just because it's really special and magical, um, in a devastating way. Acer's book is called The Wrong End of the Table, a mostly comic memoir of a Muslim Arab American woman just trying to fit in. It's out in the world. You can get it wherever you get your books. Acer, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we will see you guys in the stacks. That's it for today. Thank you guys so much for listening as always. And a huge thank you to Acer Salman for being our guest, as well as the folks at Sky Horse Publishing for sending over a copy of Acer's book. Find everything we discussed in today's episode in the link in the show notes. Get your book recommendation read on air by sending an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out the website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.